It's in your bulletins on page 5. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus and the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come and change our hearts even if it is in the piercing. Come and, uh, and convince us of what Simeon sings of. Be with our hearts as we uh, try to dodge what the word might have for us and uh, be with my voice as I probably try to dodge the same way. Lord, uh, may you transform your community even this day, even if it's just a little bit. Do it so for eternity. We ask in your name. Amen. <laughs> got to think the rising and the fall. This is a disturbing passage. I got to thinking about rising and falling and I was like, oh, does this have to do with attendance of church too? How about depending on how good the sermon goes or whatever, you know. Uh, the uh, rising and falling of many people. This is a song that bugs people. It, it, it frustrates people. And uh, um, and uh, it's a famous song. You should know that if you grew up in the Catholic or Episcopalian tradition, uh, that this is called the Nunc Dimittis. Sorry for the Latin. I don't even know if I said it right. But uh, but it is uh, it is it is the song that uh, in the prayer books as early as the fourth century in prayer books that they're evening prayers, which you say before you go to bed at night. Um, and so we're joining into this song that's kind of disturbing, of rising and falling and changing us uh, with. At least 1,600 years of people who have been reading this every night before they go to bed. That's an amazing thing. Amazing thing that uh, it would be that important. Because, you guys, Simeon's kind of crazy. Have you noticed this passage? I mean, I think he's not just crazy. I think he's genius crazy, much like Luke and Pastor Howard. I mean, not the crazy part, but the genius part. Uh, uh, but he's... He, I mean, this is not the normal guy you kind of like want to hang out with in church. This is the guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to die when uh, Messiah comes. You know? I mean, what, what was in his hummus? You know? What, 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 are you serious? What are you talking about? Uh, how did this happen? How did he come to this revelation? When, what, what, to, what to, I mean, come on now. Every time somebody goes, you know, the Lord told me, I go... Did he, did he, uh, did you get it from, can you tell me the verse and chapter, please? Because once the Lord starts telling you stuff, you know, it's probably invest in your company, you know, uh, and, and I get a little nervous about that. And I know that's what they were thinking. I mean, it's been 400 years since God's spoken to anybody really in the new, in the, in, since the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so Simeon, I don't know how long he's been around. I don't know when he got told what he got told, but you know, he's kind of the crazy man and he's genius as well because, um, uh, uh, 
he, he, he's, well, let's talk about it a little bit more how he's crazy, because I was getting to think about this for a second. Um, <laughs> it probably didn't help when this part of the passage occurred. Okay, so Simeon says, I will not die until I see the consolation of Israel. And then he goes up to a temple. And what do you expect to happen? There better be some dude on a horse that's six feet five ready to take on Rome. At the, that's who he should be looking at, right? There better be some uh, orator who can handle Herod and, uh, and, and, and speak his way out or, or some theologian that, that will bring Israel back to their roots in Scripture. But it's an eight-day-old kid. So now, if you didn't think he was crazy, now you know he's crazy, right? Because now he's saying, okay, now I can die. I got the eight-day-old kid that's here. But he's genius because he's, he's crazy like Van Gogh or he's crazy like Beethoven or he's crazy genius like Edgar Allan Poe. Van Gogh was nuts. Vincent Van Gogh was crazy, but he was a genius. He, he cut off his ear for love and sent it, you know? I mean, that's what he did. That's a little, you know, certifiably, right? He could see things in wheat fields. He could see things in stars, the way they spun in detail, the way, we, uh, the, the way a person's normal eyes couldn't see. Beethoven could hear symphonies long after he was deaf. He couldn't hear somebody call him to dinner, but he could hear symphonies. He's brilliant. He heard voices. He heard things. Genius. Brilliance. In fact, the, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, who may have been helped in his, in his uh, little bit of genius insanity from opium, uh, said, he said this, Men have called me mad, crazy, but the question is not yet settled whether madness is or is not the loftiest intelligence. Whether all that is profound does not spring from some disease of thought, from moods of mind exalted at the expense of general intellect. I think that may describe Simeon. He's seeing and hearing things that are almost secretive, until, but they're absolutely true and right and good. And like Poe, he's a little bit crazy. The moods of his minds may be a little bit different. Like Beethoven, he is hearing God's voice in a different way that maybe we can hear too. Like Janus, he sees both ways, uh, has two faces, uh, 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 um, has two faces to the past and to the future. And like Van Gogh, he sees the glorious details of this normal thing happening of a kid coming in to be circumcised on the eighth day. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look over Simeon's wildly fantastic but genius shoulder. And we're going to look back with him. And we're going to look ahead with him. Let's look back for a second to God's promise. If you look in verse 25 and 26 and later in 29, I'll do 29 first. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Or in 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. His whole life is based on God's promise. And Simeon leans into the promise of God that was made to him. It's different than ours. I still, you know, it would be pretty questionable whether or not, you know, one of you came up to me and said, the Lord told me and very specifically this and it was audible and, you know, we'd have to come through the scriptures and, 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 and really look through all that stuff. It's different than ours. This is the first time in 400 years that the Lord had spoken and he spoke about Jesus, which is a pretty important thing to have someone speak about here clearly. But 
But there are all sorts of promises for us in Scripture. Don't you know that the Scripture has got promises everywhere for us? The whole nation of Israel, the whole um, people of God, both Old and New Testament, Israel and the church, is based on a promise. As early as Genesis 3, from the very beginning, uh, almost a prehistoric uh, um, uh, story, uh, there's a promise that, that God will come and crush the head of the serpent and the offspring of Eve will come and bring redemption. In, in Genesis 12, 2,000 years before this event, uh, G, uh, Yahweh promises Abraham that he will have offspring. He and his barren wife would have offspring that, that, that was more than the stars. The entire Old Testament is a promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's, we are a people of promise. And Simeon simply believes the promise that, it, that that's going to happen. It's got a little bit more specifics to it, but he's just simply believing what's normal about what it means to be a person of God. That's what he's doing. There are huge promises that come to us through Jesus. Those of you who have come and done and made profession, have, have, have come into the faith and have come to the table, there are all sorts of promises that we need to look back to and hold on to, much like Simeon. I want to just read through a couple of them. Those of you who are united to Christ, listen for our needs as we think about this new year. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4. For acceptance, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. What a promise. Even for things like productivity, you did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain lasting productivity, if you will. For security, also also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who work all things to the counsel of his will. For guidance, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you are to go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, Psalm 32. And lastly, in knowing that you're loved. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of the promises that we have. How amazing. You've got to know that Simeon doubted some days. You've got to know. He was like, did I eat something bad? Did I get into some religious fervor? Those voices keep coming back. You've got to know that some days he was like, oh, I don't know. And it's expected of us too. We're people of a promise, but sometimes we wonder if these things are true, if we were just in some religious haze or if we had bad pizza or something like that. Is, could this be possibly true? Simeon leans back to us and says, yes, look back. Look back to the promises of God. But here's what it means to be a people of promise. It also means to be a people of waiting. This is the bad side of the promise. Because we have to wait. He was waiting, it says, the scripture says today, he was waiting for the love, for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Think about what it must have been for him to wait. How foolish he must have felt. How insecure it was. How long of a time it was. I don't know how long it was. You don't know how it was. But it seems like it's been, it was a while. Likely he waited for a lifetime. Church tradi- tradition or church history teaches that he did wait for his lifetime. At least his adult life. And then he died singing. It's a really hard thing because he waited this whole time. And then guess what? When the promise was fulfilled, he died. The jig was up. That's what he waited for. And waiting is difficult. 
But this, again, much like promise, waiting is a very difficult way for us. Abraham waited and Sarah waited 25 years after they were promised to have those children, to have the first child. And they're supposed to have as many as the stars, uh, you know, through generations, have as many as you couldn't count them on the star, like the stars. Jacob waited seven years to marry Leah and another seven to marry Rachel. Israel waited 40 years in the desert. Joseph waited almost an entire lifetime after he got sold into slavery for any kind of glory or redemption to come about because of it. Even Jesus waited 30 years of his 33 years before he started doing his active ministry. Waiting is a part of what we are. And I'm sorry, guys, because we don't like to wait. None of us like to wait. And we're not very good about, good, good about it. But I promise you that this, just like there's a promise, this waiting strengthens us and changes us. Waiting on the Lord. Have you all ever heard of the marshmallow test? It was done in the 70s. Okay, it's a, marsh, it's a sociological test. It's, a, it's actually a, a, a measure of EQ, not IQ, intelligence quotient, but emotional quotient, uh, 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 your emotional uh, ability. And Stanford University did this in the 70s. And here's what they did. You take a marshmallow. Oh, you take a kid. You take a slew of four-year-olds. And, uh, and you have a, um, a, a deal where you, you have the tester that's in there, and the tester actually is interacting with the kids and saying, if they get an answer right... Uh, if they do a task that they were told to do, they get a marshmallow and, and they get to eat it. So they get, they're getting this like positive feedback for the good things they do. It's a great thing. But the real test comes when there's a knock at the door. The knock at the door signifies the tester to get up. The tester gets up, walks out for a second, then comes back in and says, look, i got to go run an errand real quick. Here's the marshmallow. Now, if you, ha- you can eat this marshmallow anytime you want, but if you, don't, if you wait till I come back for a marshmallow, I'll give you two marshmallows. Now, try the souls of four-year-olds. Think about that, you know. Uh, and he goes out. And they have up to a 30-minute wait. They're actually watching him and they have up to a 30-minute wait. You make the 30 minutes, you get to come in and get your two marshmallows. Now, here's the really interesting thing about this. That those who can't, like me probably, who would have waited only 30 seconds, uh, uh, um, end up having a significant higher crime, criminal rate uh, uh, dysfunction, highly, set, highly, uh, uh, highly dysfunctional deals, a lot of uh, jail time. Those who waited the whole 30 minutes had a 210 higher I, uh, uh, SAT score as an average than everybody else. Oh, Amanda, are you a little worried about Carver? <laughs> I am too. No, no. <laughs> um, no. Um, and, and, and it's this waiting that, that builds something in us, that changes in us. And, and it just, that's a phenomenal thing. Uh, I, I, of course, want to run to all the studies that, that have been sub- subsequent to that. And I don't, I'm not telling you, you know, you have to play this game with your kids and, like, you know, forget all that. The point is that waiting changes us and it changes us for good. Um, God asks us to wait. We have to wait on his promises, which are not always the ones we want. Guidance, security, peace, love, knowing that you're loved, the stuff that we talked about. But he asked us to wait. And, and it's so funny because we don't, we're, we're like the, what I would have been as a four-year-old and I would have, you know, you know, not just gotten that marshmallow, but I would have been scouring the room for where the bag was. You know, something. I would have made up some synthetic marshmallow spread, you know, to try to eat that too. Something to get that sugar high again. And we do that too. We have the synthetic marshmallow spreads that we take in counterfeit of the Lord. They're faux marshmallows. They're fake. They don't work. They're not that good. They're way too chewy. They don't, they, they don't melt well. No s'mores out of them. That's what we do. 
We do that. We get these fake marshmallows and we have them uh, as, as, a, as a poor substitute of what's been going on. And we do it in all sorts of ways. Now, I'm not talking about just silly things like marshmallows. We, as a people, sometimes think a spouse would be it. Or we think a different spouse would be it. Or we think uh, a child would be it. That would be the thing that fixed things. Or not a child would be it. We, we are people who are always, uh, always looking for things other than, than God's promises to lead us and guide us through these hard things. The beauty of this passage is that it, it says it's okay that it's hard to wait. The scripture says it's okay. Waiting for the consolation of Israel is a normal reality for Christians, for people. It's okay to wait. Some of you have been abused and beaten down physically, verbally, horribly, some of you. And you're so tired of having to fight all the stuff that's gone on because of that. It's okay. It's okay for it to be hard. It's okay if it takes a long time for redemption's road longer than you want. It's okay. Some of you have been abusive yourself and you're finally coming to grips with it and you're finally going, oh, I can't, I can't even bear to look at it. I couldn't handle the depression that would come. If the scripture is true and if we're learning into, leaning into Christ and he is the consolation of Israel, yes, we can. We can lean into those things. No, it will not be redemptomatic. It will not happen quickly. But we lean into waiting. We, 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 we resist the desire for insta-healing with fake marshmallow product. And we walk in. And we walk into a very dark and difficult path sometimes. But it is a path of life and healing because Jesus is there. Because he is the consolation that is there. Which is a real bummer for when you say Happy New Year. Because scripture doesn't necessarily teach that things evolve in getting better circumstantially. They say that Jesus will be present. But circumstantially, I would be lying to you if I said, oh, seven's going to be the best year you ever had. I have no idea. And either do you. We don't. Circumstantially, it may not change. It may not be happy that way. But the Lord can meet you there as the consolation of Israel and his church. Uh, he can meet you there. It's really hard because the next step's not actually much better. When we're looking back, it's a problem. But when we look ahead, it's not much better. If you read the passage with me in 34, it says this, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Happy New Year. <laughs> when you look back, you got these promises that you have to wait for. When you look forward, trouble. It looks hard. It looks difficult. And as we look over Simeon's shoulder to see what his crazy, wonderful, genius eyes see, we see trouble ahead. And that's true. The rising and falling of of people, revealed hearts, pierced souls, people being spoken against. Happy New Year! Jesus reveals hearts. He, 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 he comes and rising and falling happens uh, 
souls are pierced because he claims earlier in the passage what he says about him is that he claims to be a lord, a king. As our, uh, our passage in Isaiah says, and as uh, uh, some of our Christmas hymns say, the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus actually makes a claim that we have to respond to. That's where our hearts get revealed. We start realizing, if he says Jesus is Lord, that means I'm not. That means that he has a, he's claiming something over us. Now, it's in a different kind of way, and we'll talk about what that is in terms of suffering and love, but, but that means we're not our own. And, and he calls us to something that is so 21st centrally such a bad word, submission to him, yielding to him. I mean, it doesn't get more offensive than that, right? That's why there's rising and falling. Jesus comes to bring peace and consolation. But he does it through invasive surgery, open heart surgery, if you will, cutting right down the middle and the skin hurts when it cuts. And then he opens up the chest cavity and starts going to work. And that hurts too. I mean, I think he does do proper and good uh, uh, Novocaine treatment or that stuff, the stuff that make it not hurt so bad. But surgery is violent, and it hurts. And afterward, it's violent and it hurts. He causes pain, but he's coming to bring redemption to our souls, even in their piercing. Some, those who cry out for this Lord over them, this type of lordship, will be restored. They, in Simeon's language, will rise. Rise and even sing. Others, who refuse to cry out, for healing and consolation in this type of lordship, will, to use Simeon's language, fall. And now here's the quirky part. The rising and falling doesn't tie to how good a year you're going to have or how good a year uh, uh, Mary had in her rising. She did everything right. She responded to the lordship of, uh, of her own son. She obeyed when she was told to go there, here or there. She responded in heart and, uh, and not just professed with her mouth, believed in her heart. She did everything right. And you would think, Rising would mean at least like a new mule or something like that. You know, some something good. But what's promised to her is that her heart would be pierced too. After all that she's been through, waiting, being misunderstood. No, seriously, my baby's daddy is the Holy Spirit. I mean, she's the town goofball or liar. It's not Joseph, really. And then all the competitive jealousy, my mom used to say, Jews had to be Italian because only Italians think they're, uh, they're, that their son is God. Um, uh, my mom's Italian, by the way. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, but what about the, comp- you know, yeah, I know I'm going to actually worship my son and all this other stuff. I mean, what's play group like there? You think Mary thinks that, you know, that everybody, y'all that Mary thinks Jesus is really better than he is. You know, I mean, this has got to be a little ridiculous. I mean, think about her lifelong being misunderstood, the jealousy, all that stuff. Give her a break. And Simeon says, no. And Yahweh, who, 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 uh, uh, who, um, who inspired his, his thoughts and, and Jesus, who was the object of his statements, says, no. Even a pierced soul. And we know when that happened, don't we? When her soul was pierced, when she watched her innocent son crucified unjustly to appease the boiling anger of the religious folk that he was talking to. You guys, I know some of you are in bad places. And you feel your heart 
being exposed. I know some of your marriages, some of your family relationships, some of your relationships with your children, some of you students, you young people, some of your relationships with your brothers and sisters are not in good places. And I know that they're hard. The Lord intends to come and be in the midst of those very things. There's something that happens to us that changes us, that makes us more beautiful. I was talking to someone today, uh, this week, who was talking about a really hard situation with his family member, uh, uh, his own child. And he said, this has been the hardest time in my entire life. And he said, I have never, ever experienced God's love and closeness than I have in this time. My prayer life, out of need, is amazing. (laughs) Of course that's not voluntary. Jesus himself tried to pass the cup, if you will. He said, if not my, if it be your will, can we go any other way than the path of suffering? Can there be any other way? And I would love to tell you, Happy New Year. No, you don't have to do it that way. But I can't. Suffering is our path. It is a place where we are redeemed. I was talking to another person this week, and she said, I, I met this woman who I thought was just had this incredible passion for Christ. She was this most amazing lady. I couldn't believe her. She was so uh, encouraging to be around. She goes, something bad must have happened to her. You know? <laughs> she's walked through hard things. And she's exactly right, of course. You don't you know, go looking to need Jesus that much. But he's loving enough to come as one who would be, there'd be rising and falling and who'd even pierce our hearts. So I've basically said that, gene, that, that Simeon is a genius for waiting and suffering. Happy New Year. <laughs> I was listening to you too, actually, as I, uh, sorry, Pastor Howard, I was listening to Bono as, uh, as, uh, as I was, we have a running joke about how all evangelical Christian males listen to Bono. Um, <laughs> But I was listening to him. He had these words. I don't know if I can take it. I'm not easy on my knees. It's my heart that you're breaking. I need some release. And that's where we are. And that's where Simeon takes us as well. Because Simeon is not Janus. He doesn't just look up and back. Look forward and backwards. Look ahead and look to the past promises of God. He has the Lord Jesus in his hands. He is looking right at Jesus. He has literally got him in his hands singing. He's looking before him and he calls us to the same. We are to look right before us and we, as he looks before him. Think about it. It says um, uh, he, he, uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and then down uh, to 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, which is circumcision. Uh, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And here is the release that Jesus comes as consoler and savior. He is the consolation of Israel. All of this says, waiting and suffering, of course you need to be consoled. Life is hard. And he's also saying, I am savior as well. If you've ever been in counseling or are a counselor or know somebody or just like me, get to be around people who God really touches in really beautiful ways. Being consoled is one of the central realities of healing that happens as someone walks the paths of healing. 
And then there's an element of salvation, of rescue, of, of power that comes in as well. But consoling, listening is a central part of how redemption occurs. Consolation and saving. Uh, uh, sorrow and listening and giving someone voice and power. And that's what Jesus brings. He is the consolation of Israel. He is uh, uh, he's the soother, the comforter. Um, and he, it, it doesn't seem like it's, it seems like it can be really hard because of all the things we just said about what, what's going on. But he is, he is Lord, not in a way that, uh, that is trying to be cruel. It's just the surgery we need is so difficult and so, so hard. And, and, and we're so living in the darkness of, of our worlds that, uh, that both our external worlds where there's violence and craziness and oppression and all that stuff, but also our internal worlds, uh, where we're dealing with relationships that have long and huge scars and we have uh, uh, friendships that are being renewed in their scarring, and we have patterns of relating that are so bad, it takes a while to keep breaking and changing and moving us after it is. He's bringing consolation there. His own mother, he became as the, the consoler to his own mother. Right before that, uh, the pain hit its zenith, the piercing of the heart happened the most, he turns to his mother and his good friend and says, and says John, take care of my mother. Be her comforter. Be her counselor. Be her comfort. Jesus is not just um, uh, is, is not just one who kind of sovereignly sees everything that's happening. He comes in and invades. And he comes in and he brings comfort and counsel. I know that many of us are in deep suffering. Many of us, many of us are. He has come to lift our head and to wipe our tears. He has come, even in the middle of his challenge, to do that. And it's not just that uh, uh, that he, he comes to help us in our suffering, he actually came to be the one who suffers for us. Look what Hebrews says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And then it says this. So you got this fully understanding God that comes in and cannot just wipe our tears from our eyes, but had tears flow from his eyes. And he says... Let us then approach the throne of God, grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. His perfect suffering redeems our imperfect suffering. We're to go to Him. He's the one who waited more than we could wait, more than Simeon. He was the one Simeon was waiting for. He is the one who is the greater listener, the one who, uh, whose, whose shoulder you can cry on. But he's not just that. He's not just one who you can listen to and pour your heart out to because he actually has power to change us. Because we move from this one who understands all our weaknesses to one we can boldly approach the throne of grace with. Because he has power to actually bring dignity back to, to us, to, to, to change our pasts. Of, uh, that are rifled with sin and, and sinned against and sinning, uh, sinned to us and sinned against that are, that are deformed and, 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 uh, and ailing because of the world that we live in and the way we participated in that world. But he, he come and actually has power to change it. For my eyes have seen your salvation, Simeon says, which you've prepared the sight of all people for the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of people Israel. Jesus is not just counselor. His Redeemer and Savior, the bringer of salvation. It's not easy. We've said that already. But it's true and right and good and eternally effective for our souls and for our bodies.
Again, I know you're all in the middle of it, several of you. And if you just got back from Christmas vacation, goodness gracious, you probably all need a few hours in the counseling chair right now, you know? All that old stuff gets a churning and difficult. Because he's the counselor, you can stay. Because he's the savior, you won't stay there forever. Because he's the counselor, you can look in the horrid dark corridors of your life and the lives of those who have hurt you and those of you hurted. But because he's savior, he will bring the light of his love to bear in those situations. It will be way longer than you'd hoped. It will seem uh, like you're suffering more than you can handle. But that's what's true. He's the one that can forgive our sin and restore our lives. Telling the illustration I did about, about the um, SAT scores and the, the good kids waiting and all that being good citizens, I don't want you to miss the point. The point for me is not that you would become really patient people. Because you see, if the, if the test giver was a treacherous liar, then the kid would have been absolutely brilliant, absolutely right to take the marshmallows and run. Right? This is all based on the trustworthiness of the person who is distributing the blessing, who is distributing the love. If he is a... Uh, I bet you the rates of increase would go up significantly if there were faithful mothers and loving fathers that were the ones that were giving uh, uh, giving the marshmallows. I'm sure that they would. But what if they were counselors, consolers? What if it was the consoler? The point of this is not to get you to be more patient, to suffer better. The point of this sermon, what I want for you and for us, is to look at Simeon's arms, lift up the Savior. And for us all to watch his crazy eyes as he says, for the Lord has brought salvation today. The consolation of Israel is here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us even when we're so scared of the injury that happened to us or the injury that we have caused others the ways in which we run from being weak and broken and the ways that we run from admitting that we've been rebellious and sinful. Lord, you love us anyway and that you've come with this deep, deep love to transform our lives and hearts. Lord, give us courage. Give us faith. Let us see with the wild and crazy eyes of Simeon that you are the one that can bring consolation and that you are the Savior of the world. We ask this in your name. Amen.